0: Let's turn to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 19, and we will be reading verses 1 through 20, 1 through 20. And we are going to be talking about Paul's time in Ephesus today. The last time we talked about what Paul did in the city of Corinth. And so we are starting at the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. Corinth was really the last city that Paul visited before he completed his second missionary journey and went back to Caesarea and took some time off before he started on this journey. And so starting in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on him, on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, Speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs Or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In Acts 18, Luke tells us that after Paul had left Corinth, he traveled to Ephesus along with Priscilla and Aquila. But he hadn't stayed very long in Ephesus due to a a vow that he had taken. And so the Jews in Ephesus would have liked him to remain longer. And we read in In Acts 18.21, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And so now Paul has returned. In the meantime, in Ephesus, we read that a Jew from Alexandria, Apollos, has come and he taught about Jesus. However, he seemed to be lacking in knowledge. And so Priscilla and Aquila took him in and explained the way more carefully to him. But just before Paul came to Ephesus, Apollos said, I need to go and talk to other people, so he left. And keeping this in mind, when Paul came to Ephesus, what was Ephesus like? Ephesus was a very important city, in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of that part of Asia Minor. It had a huge temple. And you remember the Parthenon? You've seen pictures of the Parthenon. This temple was four times larger than the Parthenon, 60 feet high. It had 127 columns. And inside this temple was, was Artemis a god and she was the god of wild animals she was like a hunting god sometimes you see her with a bow and arrow she was a god of vegetation plants and she was a virgin quite a contrast from the god that was in corinth who was aphrodite who's really just a sex god so to speak and so this impressive place an impressive temple had a statue inside of Artemis. And this huge statue could be seen from a long distance away. It was so big. And the temple had to be built around this statue. And the people there in Ephesus said that that statue had fallen from the sky, maybe 400 years prior to when Paul visited, and that they had built the temple around the statue so here's where paul came and paul was there for almost three years and we read that his ministry there was successful but we might not say it was paul's ministry it was god's ministry we read in verse 20 that the lord the word of the lord continued to increase and prevail mightily so why did the church grow in ephesus what was happening in ephesus well luke tells us and we just read a portion of this passage about some of the things that happened in ephesus and today as we have time we'll talk about three things that happened in ephesus first of all men were baptized by the holy spirit secondly Paul was able to teach and preach on a daily basis. And then thirdly, there were miracles as opposed to magic. And so when we think about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we read that Paul found some disciples in Ephesus. And usually when you talk about disciples, you mean these are people who were true Christians, they were disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they seemed like disciples. And Luke describes them and names them as disciples. And they talked about repentance, and they talked that they had been baptized. And as Paul interacted with these, these disciples, Paul must have thought something doesn't seem right. And the Bible sometimes gives us a dialogue. And here we have a dialogue. Paul says, Okay, I need to figure this thing out. He says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And those disciples answered, No, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And they had heard of the Holy Spirit because if you read Genesis 1 1, it talks about the Spirit. But they had not heard about the Holy Spirit being associated with becoming a believer. And Paul says, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Now Paul understood. And Paul says, Okay, John baptized with a baptism of repentance. You repented of your sins, but there's something more that you need to know. And you know about Jesus, but did you know that Jesus paid for your sins? And he explained thoroughly the gospel to these disciples. And it seems like the disciples immediately understood what Paul was talking about, so Paul baptized them. And when they were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. They received special gifts. They were able to prophesy. They were able to speak in tongues. And so when we consider being baptized, we consider that we also, when we are converted, that we receive the Holy Spirit. Even Peter said in Acts when he was talking to the people in Pentecost, he said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, from Acts 2:38. And so we would say that when someone believes that Jesus is their Lord, that Jesus is their Savior then they would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone had believed that Jesus was Lord and Savior and had not received the Holy Spirit, that would have been an extraordinary anomaly. That was something different than usually happened. Now, this particular passage that we just read about how these men were baptized has created room for error. And some of it is because of the way the words were translated into the English. But some of it is because there are groups of people in the Pentecostal and charismatic church who use this story as a proof text, and they will ask you after you become a Christian, they will say, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And so what they do is they consider a two-step process. The Holy Spirit works in you, and you become saved, and you get faith, and you're converted, and you're regenerated. And then you want to have a special baptism by the Holy Spirit so that you can receive some gifts of the Spirit. And so they believe in two. Now, you might be thinking, I was thinking, this sounds different than what I usually believe. And I've been in churches where they have asked that question. Not during a church service, but I happen to be in the church and see little cards in the pew that said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if you haven't, here are the seven steps that you need to take to become baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was totally alien to me. I thought we automatically receive the Holy Spirit when we believe that Jesus Christ was our Savior. And that is true. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, in Ephesians one thirteen, he said, When you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul also wrote the Corinthians in Corinthians 16, verse 8. Um, no, he also wrote... wrote um, there's also other writings in Romans where he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so these 12 men who thought they were disciples were not really disciples. They were people that I would consider were almost disciples. They did not have enough information to be saved because they did not understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was the one who was going to save them from their sins, even though they had repented of their sins. And so there are many who listen to the word of God who think that they need to get the Holy Spirit in a second baptism. But I would ask you this question. Are you led by the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in with the Holy Spirit? Are you under the government of the Holy Spirit? And if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has been active in you even before you became a Christian. The Holy Spirit was working in your life to show you that you were a sinner and to show you what the consequences of sin was going to be. And the Holy Spirit guided you to hear the gospel. And people hear the gospel in many different ways. There are people who've been sitting in church for years, and all of a sudden they hear the gospel in a fresh way. And they understand, and they repent, and confess their sins, and they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And other people all of a sudden are struck with the fact that they are a sinner, and they pick up the Bible and begin to read. And other people get a fragment, a pamphlet, a tract, and read that. And it makes sense to them, and they become converted. All of those things have been guided by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gave you that desire to repent. The Holy Spirit was involved in producing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells in you at your point of conversion. Pastor Harrison on Wednesday evenings has been using the book of Ephesians of all books to talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us in our Christian life. And so... These men were given extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to introduce the gospel to the people in Ephesus. God worked powerfully in Ephesus, and he used every means to bring many to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and to repent of their sin and to be saved. Now, what might you say to someone who says, I'm looking for that baptism of the Holy Spirit? And you would say, are you using this passage from Acts chapter 19 as your proof text? Well, Paul assumed that these men would have been baptized by the Holy Spirit if they were true Christians. They were not Christians to begin with. And that's where there is a problem with the interpretation of the original scriptures, a translation issue. And so Paul says, no, I expected them to have had the Holy Spirit. They were not truly converted. And secondly, God does not give the Holy Spirit in pieces. Or God doesn't give you bursts of the Holy Spirit. Like, Here's a little bit of the Holy Spirit, and then later, here's a little more of the Holy Spirit. And every so often, you need to get refilled with the Holy Spirit. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Look to be filled with the Spirit again and again and again. No, you are filled with the Holy Spirit once, and the Holy Spirit indwells in you. And because of who God is, You can't get more of the Holy Spirit because you already have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have to become attuned to the Holy Spirit and how it is working within your own life. And so that's what happened in Ephesus. A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But... God did more. Not only did he baptize disciples in Ephesus with special gifts, God used Paul to teach and reason daily. And so Paul started out by teaching in the synagogue. And he did that for about three months until it became difficult. Too many people opposed what he was saying during the synagogue services. And so Paul, it just said he moved. And he moved to the hall of Tyrannus. And then Paul decided, I can do this daily. And so Paul taught on a daily basis. And most likely, it was a situation where Paul would have questions for the people who attended this particular session, and they would have questions for him. You have to realize, in Ephesus, it's pretty hot. Kind of like what it's been like here for the last few days. And so Paul would work in the morning, most likely, making tents or however he did that. And then people decided to take a break midday. You can't work in the hot of the day outdoors. You can't do physical labor too easily. So culturally... Everyone stopped work around 11, and this still happens in places in the Mediterranean region. You stop working around 11 and you go and you kind of rest, do quiet things, take a nap or whatever. Take a siesta, it's called sometimes. And then you start up again around 4 o'clock. Well, Paul says, well, if we're taking a break at 11, we might as well go to somewhere nice and quiet to the hall of Tyrannus, and I will talk to you. You will learn during that time. You, that isn't very active, is it? And so Paul did this on a daily basis, we read. And what was the result of Paul's labors? We read, the gospel spread far and near. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, I think Paul became a celebrity. And when anyone came to town, one of the things while you were in town is that you went to the hall of Tyrannus to hear Paul speaking because Paul was a very interesting speaker. And if you lived in Ephesus and you didn't have anything to do and you had an interest in Christianity, well, what did you do during your midday break? You went to hear Paul, and because Paul was speaking, Paul was talking, you would learn something if you went there and listened to Paul. And when a person is saved, it isn't just a one-time event. That person wants to keep going back to the well. He wants to keep reading the Bible. She wants to keep listening to sermons. Christians want to immerse themselves in the word of God. And so for us, it is a lesson. We don't have Paul in town. We don't have that midday siesta, a long period of time that we can go and listen to the word of God. But God has given us so many things. We have books. We have Christian radio. We can hear sermons on Sunday. We can Go to Bible studies. We can listen to Christian music. There are so many things that Christian is able to hear the word of God on a daily basis. And my question to you is, do you read the word of God on a daily basis? Are you interested in hearing the word of God expounded? And then... Look for ways that you can do these kinds of things. We have no excuse. We live in a society where it is very easy to hear the word of God. And so the church in Ephesus was fast growing, very fast growing. In fact, Paul at one time said uh, when he was writing the Corinthians about his travel plans, he says, well, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. It was known that Ephesus was becoming a changed community. And so thirdly, how did God impact this church in Ephesus? And it is that God validated Paul's teachings with miracles. And let me start this way. Do you like magic shows? Do you like watching magic shows or going to a magic show? I know I do. And if you go to a magic show, you know that everything that you see on stage, there's a reason for why it looks like that. There's a trick, right? Every trick has a logical reason for it. Nobody can float on stage by themselves. There has to be something holding them up. I just don't know what it is. It looks like they're floating. That's magic, right? And we don't believe really in magic like this. How about this? Let's say that I was home and I got a high fever. And I noticed that my neighbor is outside working. And it's a hot day, kind of like today. He's sweating profusely, and he's just mopping his head. And I tell my wife, go to the neighbor and ask if he can give you that handkerchief. Maybe give him another one. Take that handkerchief home, put it on my head, and my fever goes away. Does that sound strange? That would never happen, would it? Is that magic? Well, it happened with Paul. He was working in the morning, and he would use a claws to wipe his forehead, wipe the sweat off, and he would discard it because those sweat things become sweaty, and you need a new one. And people would take that handkerchief or take his work apron, bring it home, put it on a sick person, and they were healed. That's a miracle. Do you have any explanation? It wasn't Paul. He just contributed some sweat, right? It was God who caused a miracle. Now, it so happens that the Ephesians loved magic. In fact, the Ephesians had books, magic books. And these books were filled with spells and recipes and little procedures and so on that you had to do if you wanted to perform magic. And there's some copies of these books around today that have been preserved for us, and they have very specific language. They're written in a certain way, such as, Sovereign and good angels, deliver our son from this dreadful fever. And then it would go on and on and on, invoking the names of various gods and so on. And these books were secret. You got this little book, magic book. You consulted with an expert who told you exactly what to say. You would pay that expert money to produce a little spell or a little magical saying that you had to say in order for your son to be healed. And then Luke tells us about some people who used the name of Jesus in one of these spells, and he actually tells you some of the words. I adjure you, by the name, by the by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they had put Jesus at the same level as Artemis and all the other. Greek gods, where you would adjure these Greek gods to heal somebody or to cause your business trip to go well or whatever it was that you were trying to accomplish. And we read that this was a common, common practice in Ephesus. And so, what was the result? in this particular incident. And I think Luke put this here almost humorously because there are seven sons, and they, were, they did this, and they got beaten up and wounded and thrown out on the street immodestly. So what was the result? Well, I think those seven sons left town pretty quickly. Or maybe they went to see Paul to see what the right way to use the word Jesus was. I like to think the latter, but I doubt it. But the result that we read is that the name of the Lord Jesus became known and held in respect. Jesus' name was no longer used in these magical spells that people were trying to put on other people to help them get healed or to help them in their business or whatever rituals that they were doing and the name of Jesus caused fear and respect the people realized that Jesus was different than their Greek gods Jesus was different than all these little magical things that they wanted to do and fourthly New believers, brand new Ephesus Christians confessed that they used magic. They realized that they could not practice magic and be a Christian at the same time. And so we read in the scriptures, they confessed, oh, I do that all the time. I have a whole book over here that I consult from time to time, whatever we need to do. Perhaps they went and talked to Paul in the hall of Tyrannus and said, Paul, what do you think about using Jesus' name in my little magical practice? And Paul might have turned them to Deuteronomy. And he might have said said to them, There shall not be found among you anyone... Who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or is a sorcerer or is a charmer or a medium. All these things are abominations to the Lord. Oh, the Ephesians realized this is bad. This is evil. And so they confess their sin. They showed the genuineness of their repentance by holding a public burning of the scrolls of magic rituals and recipes. They didn't even try to sell them and make some money and donate it to the church. They burned them. And and the Bible mentions that it was worth a tremendous amount of money. They had paid a lot of money for this magic stuff. Are you like those Ephesian believers? Is there something in your life that you need to totally separate yourself from? You might not own a book of spells. I don't. You might not. But what is it you own? What kind of books do you have in your house? There might be some books in your house that are better to be trashed than sold, better to be burned than given away. You might have some music in your house that should be given away or burned. And I one time went somewhere and they had a record-smashing event. A bunch of people from my high school determined that they the records that they owned were not good. The words were not good. And so they were converted. And they took those records and we had a record-smashing event, which was quite interesting and exciting. Do you have something that needs to be smashed and destroyed or burned? Well, go ahead and do that. Get rid of it. And so... We can be like the Ephesians. We can confess and repent of our sins. And we can see, feel the Holy Spirit working in our lives and making us more and more conform to the word of God. And as we find particular sins or practices that we have, we can take those things and we can smash them. We can burn them. We can destroy them. Those Ephesians resolved never to use magic again. And they said, we're going to make sure we never make magic again. And they didn't stick those books in the back corner in a back closet they burn them. They would never be able to consult those books again. And they resolved to keep themselves as far away from the use of magic as possible. And so if they met somebody in the street who said, well, I need a magic book in order to help my son who is sick, they would say, you have no need for that. We have a better way. We pray to God. We go to the Lord Jesus Christ with our petitions. I don't need to recite a formulaic magic spell. And so the Ephesians had a wonderful way of witnessing to each other. Are you able to tell other people that they don't need to do certain things, but you have been wonderfully converted and that you don't need to rely on the ways of the world and all of these other things. You don't like to read trashy books. You don't listen to certain types of music because of what God has done in you. And you can explain because those things are profane. They are evil. They are against what the word of God has told me. God showed his power in Ephesus. He showed his power in giving the Holy Spirit in an extraordinary way, the pouring out of the Spirit. God provided the Ephesians with a way to learn the word of God by giving Paul a place to meet and teach on a daily basis. And God used miracles that were clearly Clearly, God's work, not Paul's work, Paul just provided the sweat, but clearly God's work, so much so that these Ephesians' lives were radically changed. God bless this church. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, he said in Ephesians 1.15, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Their faith was becoming known throughout that world. And tradition says that the Apostle John moved to Ephesus towards the end of his life. He was one of the pastors, one of the teachers in Ephesus. And when he moved to Ephesus, He also brought the mother of Jesus with him. And so, potentially, Jesus' mother had lived in Ephesus. And when we read in Revelation, in the beginning of Revelation, God gives seven churches a message. Many of those churches were satellite churches that had started In Ephesus. They were the work of the Apostle Paul, who was used greatly by God to start a church throughout all of Asia.